moths are not attracted to light. Yeah, but they are because they come in and they buzz around the. the no, bowl. no. So the new science is in. Uh-huh. In fact, none of the bugs are attracted to light. Uh huh. And it turns out that what happens is they have a device, like instinctive device, <laughs> like a genetic device, right? Uh-huh. That says fly with your back towards the biggest light source. Right. Right. So they don't do it consciously. Right. They just do it instinctively, right? There's a big light source, and that's how they orient themselves, right? So they, it's not like it's like they just do it, right? right. But they're not aware that they're doing it. Yeah. So here's the problem: yeah, when on. when you see the bugs circling the light, right? Mm-hmm. They don't think they're circling a light. They don't care about the light. They don't. Right. They're not attracted to it. It's just that they're you know instinctive things. Yeah, the compass yeah. says right orient yourself like that and they're not aware that they're doing it so as far as they know they just keep flying in in one direction but they're not they're flying forward yeah they think they're flying forward but they can't get to where they want to get because they're stuck circling the light but why in the daytime don't moths just fly into the sun then why don't they just fly up and up and up no because they don't they're not attracted towards the light they just put their back towards the light and because the light bulb is very close they keep going in loops because they keep orienting themselves with the back towards the light that's weird it is isn't it (laughs) that's really unfortunate that's Uh, incredibly isn't it yeah apparently you you can shake them out of it by like with a gust of wind or something like that blowing on them yeah maybe i don't know that works for humans too yeah blow on a human and they go away yeah (laughs) that's how it works Welcome to Talk Cardboard, a podcast about board games and everything adjacent with me, Elaine, and you... Mothman! On today's episode, we'll be battling a pulpy Mothman with unmatched adventures tales to amaze, trying to resist being imprisoned for protecting a village in witchcraft and rebuilding civilization 5,000 years later in a frozen wasteland in Revive. And on the bonus episode exclusive to patrons, we'll be talking about My Island, the sequel to Reiner Knizia's My City, and Elaine will be sharing her experiences with a solo game called Halls of Hegra. Before we get into the game, though, a quick correction. In a previous episode, I said that Daybreak could only be played with China and the USA in a two-player game. Both Jeff and Adam kindly wrote in to let us know that that is not the case. US and China is just the starting or easy difficulty, but you can change them to Europe or Majority World if you want a harder challenge, and it's mentioned on the last page of the rulebook. So thank you both for pointing that out. If you have anything to say about this or previous episodes, please let us know. Lane at no pun included.com. Smooth. I'm cutting that out. I'm not, I'm not leaving smooth in there. Why not? <laughs> Let's talk about our first game though. Uh, Unmatched Adventures Tales to Amaze. Did you have to say it like that? Yeah. Why? I don't know. That's how you say it when it's Tales to Amaze. Yeah. Okay, so throughout the entire episode, I have to go unmatched. <laughs> adventures tales to amaze no it's just the title okay but if i refer to the title i have to pronounce it correctly right okay Okay. like like resist this is not going to become annoying to anyone listening at all well then don't do it but i have to pronounce the title (laughs) correctly okay go ahead Unmatched Adventures Tales to Amaze comes from publisher Restoration Games by designers Jason Hager and Darren Reckner with art by multiple artists we have previously played unmatched which is the basic version of this game uh 
and it was nice. I really liked it. I thought it was pretty smooth. The, the, the basic idea is that you each pick a fighter, and uh, that fighter is either going to be some sort of a... Um, I don't know how to say this without, say, making it sound like naff, but it isn't naff, right? Um, a public domain heroic character or maybe villainous character right something that's a little bit you know like uh, we had sherlock holmes and we had jacqueline hyde and we had sinbad and medusa and you know all those kinds of characters and they're sort of intermixed with other sets that have like there's marvel unmatched so you could be daredevil or bullseye yeah they have some themes don't they sometimes yeah Yeah. sometimes but i i think predominantly it's either marvel or public domain and correct me if i'm missing any of the other intellectual properties that are tied to unmatched but you can there's different sets and and you can buy any set and you can pick a character from any set and another character from any set and have them fight against each other or there's a four-player team game uh i don't think this is a great free player game although again correct me if i'm wrong i've never played it at free player i don't think uh so uh, yeah, we we tried and matched a while ago. We liked it, but I think you always have a sort of a slightly negative disposition towards uh, very kind of competitive head-to-head games. Me. Where it's yeah, specifically yeah, specifically yeah. you yeah you 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 don't gel with them very well. You appreciate them, but am I am I correct? Correct. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So so unmatched was something we enjoyed tangentially and then sort of moved on from. Uh, now. And I have to commend Publisher Restoration Games because this is the right way to do a cooperative version of your game. So you make a game, it's competitive, let's say, right, hypothetically. Now, you don't do a co-op version immediately. You get it out into people's hands. People get a feel for it, feel like they like it, you know. They play it a bunch. So, so you know, you're kind of more aware with how the audience is responding to the game, how they're playing it, how they're interacting it, what they like about it, what they don't like about it, right? And then later down the line, why not do a co-op version? So this is a standalone set for Unmatched. Now, if you are a previous Unmatched owner, right, you can combine these characters that you get in this set with your regular Unmatched games and use them in your regular Unmatched games. But this is specifically just a co-op game, which uses the exact rules of Unmatched plus some extra co-op rules, rules added on. But the basic rules are identical. They even include a rulebook that says, these are just the rules that were Unmatched, right? And then there's a separate rulebook. These are the rules for the co-op version, right? Which, again, you don't need to reread the basic rules because they're the same. And then you can use the characters from your previous Unmatched games also in this Unmatched co-op game. I There's a lot of things here that are just kind of synergistically interacting you can use your previous stuff and you know it's fine it works and you can use this in your previous stuff as well that also works and and the rules are the same so you don't have to relearn anything if you already know the game you know you just learn the co-op rules and go and the co-op rules are incredibly simple so what changes is that this is obviously not a kind of a fighter versus fighter game and more of a fighters against a boss game uh and plus a couple of minions game so my first question to you is as someone who hasn't been able to fully enjoy unmatched just for the nature of what it is do you think this is the unmatched for you i like a lot more as a co-op game yeah because like you said you know i i I, when there is a real head-to-head sometimes not always there are games that you know break that rule but 
when there's a head-to-head and and it's quite involved um and there's a lot of luck reliant on it like you're drawing cards or, or whatever i i get into a real pickle in in my head like you know i think i'm winning and then and then i do something silly or and i just i don't just don't feel calm when i play it i don't feel mm. excited and calm like the, is that an oxymoron but like i don't feel excited and happy and i'm enjoying myself i'm enjoying the ride i just feel like Stress. i'm trying to climb a wall you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah um yeah a bit stressed uh so so for me uh the co-op version was was great uh because it really felt like there is this pulpy boss yeah that you are fighting that you are part of the comic storyline mm. of of you know you're in the comic you're doing the thing that they would do um and also uh, it was it was nice learning about these new characters that some of them I'd never heard of. I there's only it's only one of the characters that I've ever heard of, and the other three were new to me. But it, they were new in a way that was like cool to discover, right? Like Golden Bat, the first ever superhero in the world. Mm. Like I didn't know that, right? Mm. But yeah, it's a guy with a golden skull, <laughs> right? Like what? How? Like that's you know predates ghost rider by how many decades yeah, yeah, yeah. right and and his skull was not a flame it was golden that's cooler right mm-hmm. i think um so. yeah. yeah so i enjoyed that i really enjoyed annie christmas who is seven yes, feet too. tall and has like a mean punch i mean i had to play annie christmas because you know i'm also seven feet tall so yes you yeah. are exactly yeah. um i've witnessed it um <laughs> so no one can deny that but it's weird that um like nikola tesla yeah uh ha- has that name been used as a as a character in something before I, I th- it's I, weird that he's out of ip or, or what it, when it's a real person <laughs> i don't know no i think nikola tesla is uh very frequently a character in like schlocky pulp kind of steampunk stuff and oh, okay you know yeah he's definitely been used in in a kind of fictional way and a lot actually uh even even movies like uh, The Illusionist, it was oh. like David Bowie playing Nikola Tesla or oh, something like that. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. No, am I confusing the one with Edward Norton with the one with uh, Christian Bale? You know, the Chris Chris Nolan, Christian Bale <laughs> film. No one of them had Nikola Tesla Did in it? it. Yeah. Played and by David, David Bowie. Played by David Bowie. Okay. Yeah. So any, I, I think it's the Christian right. Bale one. Okay. Yeah. Which I don't remember the name of anymore. It just completely escaped me. Don't write in. I can IMDB it. Thank you. Um, what's great about a match is that it's it's so elegant. It is, you know, elegant is an overused word in mm. board games. Yes, yes. But this is genuinely elegant. You have a deck of cards that's that determines everything. There's no deck building. It determines everything you can do. You draw a hand of cards and those cards say you can attack with this card or you can defend with this card or you can just play the card for its effect and then you do that, right? And your entire economy is how you spend these cards, right? Because if an enemy attacks you, you can play a card to defend. And if you defend successfully or not successfully or, you know, the circumstances are right, you know, you'll flip the card, uh, the enemy will flip their card and, you know, uh, you might get an effect off of it that really kind of propels you along in a good way so so sometimes you might want to defend and sometimes you want to go hey do you know what i'd rather save a card i have a lot of hit points i'll just take the damage particularly right particularly if you have one of the cards that is both 
defense and attack yeah so some cards will let you do both mm. obviously they're very versatile but my, they might have a, a lesser attack value so it's a very simple game uh, you move there's melee attacks or ranged attacks what can you attack in ranged whatever is in the same color circle as you are right it's as simple as that uh so and and that elegantness is then further transposed onto this cooperative game where you're battling like uh ai controlled bots like whenever there's like any ties between decisions like uh you know uh the the enemy will always move towards the closest character but what if two are equidistant you know you choose you choose uh what if the two viable paths you choose you know like you yeah. choose everything so it's, it's quite free it's very free it's very simple and, and strategic in that way and and i understand what you mean kind of by elegant with that that there's not a lot of little rules about well it's the closest one but is it the closest one it's the one with this token but you will give that token to someone else if xyz do you know what yeah, i mean yeah, like yeah. All, there's all, none of that yeah. none of that it's very clean in that yeah. in that way uh, and i think what i like about it is that a lot of unmatched is just like uh a lot of flipping simultaneous cards like everyone pitches cards yes. space down flips it it's an exciting moment i think i think and this is going to come up again in this podcast episode board games sometimes forget how much fun it is to reveal things <laughs> right so it's it's i like that right yes. it's always punchy and in the cooperative version that is really fun uh when there's there's competition when it's a competitive game that bit is the bit that gives me the jitters sometimes like revealing mm. but in this it, because you're you're on the same team as each other you're both going oh yes this yeah. is great or oh no I, this is not what i wanted or <laughs> you know and, and you're kind of collaboratively celebrating or commiserating and and i like that energy that it that it gives i do have to say that our first game of a oh, match was suck. a little miserable <laughs> right we we were not familiar with the system uh, uh, much at all you know we played a match but it was really quite a while ago mm. years ago right and i just i think it was miserable because we our card economy soon dwindled out right mm. there was some uh some of the setup is randomized um you can pick whichever boss you're going to fight against. There's only two in this box, but I am sure there will be more of these boxes. But lots uh, of different minions. Too. Yeah, but lots of different minions. So uh, you pick either the Mothman or the UFO flying saucer alien thing, right? Uh, and you then pick uh, either randomly or whichever you want, you know, two out of six available minions, right? And then the minions will do things they'll activate uh as well as enemies and you don't have to take them out but you know if you take them out then the enemies do less things against you but you have to take out the boss to win and that was partly our mistake because one of the minions we didn't attack first and we probably should have because that is what destroyed our game i think yeah or we i, I think one of the cool things that i've learned from that first disastrous game was that like it's not necessarily that important to deal with the minions you just kind of want more to 
circumvent what they're doing, you know, tactically, because uh, the initiative system, again, very clean, uh, for the entire round, you have one initiative card for every participant. So you draw a card and it's like, player one, oh, okay, player one goes. Mm. And then you draw a card and it's the blob, which is one of the minions. Okay, the blob goes, right? But then all the enemy initiative cards also have an end of round effect so one once all the cards have been drawn the end of round effects are going to trigger on all these cards and majority of what they do really it, it, that is bad to you is these end of round effects mm. and by playing smart you know by anticipating what they can do and where you move you know maybe you can block them somewhere so they can't enter your zone or something you can engineer something clever and avoid most of the damage that these minions do and just focus spending your cards to do damage to the main boss right mm. now the main boss we 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 just played against the mothman we actually never played against the flying saucer thing because we're like no we, just, we still haven't gotten this down let's no. let's deal with the first one right um and the Mothman is trying to destroy these bridges. I don't know why the Mothman is destroying bridges. I don't know anything about the Mothman, but he is, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and these bridges are kind of good for you because they let you do positive effects, right? Like let you draw more cards and stuff like that. Uh, so you want to slow down the threat meter so the Mothman doesn't destroy bridges. There's a lot of things to think about, right? And and if, you, if you're not familiar with the tactical nuances of the system... Like, the first game was miserable, and miserable in such a way where it's, like, w we played, like, a third of it, and by the end of that third, we knew we lost, but there was two-thirds more of the game, and it was just like, okay, let's slog through this, right? But then the second game, once we kind of got the hang of our characters, mm. once we kind of assessed their options and what they can do... Uh, it was actually quite tactically fun and not that difficult. And I think from that second game, we were working together better as mm. a team. I think the first game, like you said, we were kind of figuring out what our abilities did, what their abilities did, and we weren't really tag team in it as well as we could have been well i just had this feeling uh, in my first game is like maybe like not much is happening here maybe it's all just down to like luck and card draw and there's always some of that right mm. but no I, I i was happily reaffirmed that actually quite a lot tactically is going on for this like mm. very streamlined elegant game so it was nice i had a good time with tales to amaze i i, I still not sure like i'm head over heels with this system but I think if you are, this is a really nice treat for fans of the game who yeah. wanted a co-op version. Because, you know, it, I think by now, the designers of Unmatched understand Unmatched pretty the well. Systems, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, sure. you know, they, they know what makes it tick. They know what makes it fun. They've, they've designed many sets by now, you know. So, so they know what's going on. And then after that, put out a co-op version. I think that's very admirable and a good way of doing it rather than, like, here's a Kickstarter for a new game. And also, there's a co-op mode. And also, you know... Uh -huh. No, like let's let's find out if people want this game first, if they like it, and then let's find out, you know, ourselves as designers, what really makes it tick, how people respond to it, right? And then we can we can distill that into like this new version of the game. And if someone doesn't want a co-op version of Unmatched, they don't have to buy it, right? Like th this this is cool. I like this. Yeah, I don't think it matters whether you know who the characters are. 
or not. Mm. Um, well, you want some connection and familiarity, you know? Right, but I didn't really know any of these characters, but it's... it's well, you knew me, Tesla, right? Well, as a, as, a, as a scientist, yeah. I didn't. I don't know what he's like in Pulp Fiction, though. Sure. Um, but it made me just want to read more about them and find out more about them. Mm. Um, so I don't think it matters. Did you, did you read more about them? <laughs> I just got a foo from you. <laughs> Not yet, no, because we've been busy playing games for the podcast. All right, uh, okay. But, but I like, you know, it makes me want to read more comics. I like those sort of pulpy comics anyway, mm. uh, like Tales of Suspense or, you know, those those kinds of things. So, yeah, it's made me want to just find out more about these characters. Before we move on to the next game, Seamus wrote in to say, Hello, really enjoy the podcast. Thanks for being such thoughtful voices in this space. I agreed on your daybreak points in the most recent episode. One bit about the pulp storage boxes. I understand why they feel inconvenient, but if people care, it's incredibly easy to improve them. I subdivided the cartons with some cardboard cereal boxes, just required a couple of minutes of measuring, cutting and folding. Dead simple and dirt cheap. And to a larger point, there are so many boxes and containers that pass through our hands and immediately get recycled or tossed. It's remarkably easy to turn many of them into component trays and boxes. Boxes that smartphones come in are great for this. A little bit of resourcefulness can do wonders. No need to buy plastic containers over and over. They also included a couple of pictures of ones that they made earlier uh, in the email. So, and I, I think that's that's brilliant. I think I, that's great using I, yeah. you know old cardboard boxes to to make a game better. I think that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, talking of uh, emails, uh, we, last episode, we asked people to write in uh, their thoughts and feelings about shame. And I, I just wanted to thank everyone that wrote in. This, some amazing emails came in that we were excited to dive into and, and talk about. Uh, however, there is so much to actually discuss on this subject that we decided we're going to have to do a standalone episode on just like this subject alone. So uh, soon, not immediately, but soon in the future, we'll have an episode uh, where we will go over what people wrote in with and you know our own thoughts and feelings about it so uh and and if if you still want to write in anything if you've experienced feelings of shame tied in any way uh as being a part of this hobby uh and you don't mind sharing don't feel obligated right uh write into elaine at nopointincluded.com Next game is witchcraft, which comes from publishers. That was Sword. terrible. Sorry, I'm sorry. We practiced this, but that was <laughs> genuinely terrible. It's too late now. It's it's recorded it's, forever. Uh... Which comes from publisher Salt and Pepper Games by designers Trevor Benjamin, Roger Tankersley, and David Thompson, with art by Albert Montes. We've discussed uh, the prequel to this game. That's not we how have. prequels work, but the, <laughs> the first iteration of this game called Resist. And now it's witchcraft. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that was better. Yeah, that was better, yeah. wasn't it? And we liked it. Yes. But at the end of that segment in that episode where we discussed resist, I, I had some reservations about resist mm. and just kind of, I don't know, there was something about it that felt like a one and done kind of situation. Mm. You know, I enjoyed it. It was nice. It was fine. I didn't feel the impetus uh, to return to it as a challenge. There was something fundamentally about it that felt like an experience that you experience and then you move away from. Yes, I know you did. And before you move on to like 
what the game is about, apart from the theme, the setting of this game being a change, the other big change about this game is the end game in that you don't have like a ladder of scoring. Like you either win or you lose. There is some variation in that. Yeah, Yeah. there's like win, uh, draw, lose, lose horribly. Yeah, (laughs) right. there's, There's not kind of that progression that and i think that's is something that you bounce off sometimes maybe no i i I like shoot the score i just didn't think that the shoot the score aspect of it was implemented well right so i they have done away with that but they have also introduced a lot of new uh very small elements that are changes to the system that i actually have like great impact Mm. and and felt overall like witchcraft was the experience that resist was always meant to be right now the artwork is equally good the setting is very different right so the setting is um it's it's a fantastical setting it's not a real world setting because whilst it uses the broad oeuvre of the sort of you know like uh witch trials in in the olden times um it it kind of assumes that the witches are real and you are playing as these witches yeah. right yeah but the objective is to i think stop this like puritanical ideal of this trial itself right yeah right like what you're doing is so you are these people and they think you're witches and you're trying to because there's things going wrong in the town in mm. Wildy Green uh, is the town, town's name village. Wildy Green, w- Wildy Green, whatever. Yeah, like Wildy Beast, you know. Anyway, yeah. whatever. Um, and these people think that you are responsible for all the bad stuff that's happening because they think you're witches. But you're saying no, we're protecting this this village. We're we're the good people, really. Yeah. So, so you're kind of going up against these jurors um and trying to convince them or trying to prove to them that you're good and so when you eventually go to trial you've got enough support from them Mm. to to succeed at the trial one of them is literally like the axe man like just (laughs) just the dude with an axe (laughs) and like he seems friendly yeah he seems friendly how do i convince him uh i yeah so this i did this very lopsidedly i don't think i can do the setting justice but let me just say that uh some of the uh thoughtful write-ups from the designers in terms of the setting and theme and the artwork as well which is very good um you know do the setting justice and and make it come across right you know uh, because it is a tricky setting. It's yeah. it's, invo- yeah, yeah, it's yeah. involving a lot of uh, real world history that wasn't so great, uh, and and also a, a lot of you know um, cultural symbolism, you know religious symbolism as well. Uh, and and I think it does that thoughtfully and carefully. And and I, I liked it. I thought it was very strong. You know, um, so the setting is compelling uh, because of that. Because it's done well. You know, it's it's immediately a setting that's like, yes, okay, I'm behind this, I'm behind this idea, uh, I'm I'm enjoying this, right? And and then the gameplay is really good as well. So if you haven't listened to our previous episode where we discussed resist, this is a solo only game, and in this game, a deck building game, um, you have these big cards, right? And you need to send these these big cards onto missions, right? And, and via these missions of of like doing good deeds i guess right you know you are you are hopefully going to like increase your own reputation with with the various jurors right uh and and so um 
when you send these cards, you usually draw a hand of cards. Some of them might be duff because they're curses, so they don't do anything. Some of them might be witches that you're going to draw. And each card is double-sided. It has a hidden side and a revealed side. So the revealed side is generally more powerful than the hidden side. But if you play it for the revealed side, it goes to the jail pile. Mm-hmm. Whereas, because uh, you reveal yourself to be an actual witch, right? <laughs> Uh, whereas the hidden side is sometimes less effective, although, you know, how and what you play kind of depends. There's a, a lot of combinations that do interesting things. The hidden side means that the card goes back into your deck, right? Which generally you want because you don't have that many cards. And the less cards you have, the more often you're going to draw curses because that's how statistics works. And the more curses you put in there, yeah. the more curses you will draw. Uh, but the problem is when you send uh, these witches to these missions, not only do you need to beat the mission's power, there's also like these hidden cards that are various obstacles. Challenges. Yeah. yeah, challenges. Sometimes they might be good things, right? Like you can get this familiar, right? Uh, and sometimes they might be bad things, like there's an angry mob or whatever, yeah. right? And you need to deal with that because Just otherwise... all in a day's work. Yeah, right? So you don't know what these challenges are going to be so when you flip them you're like oh i don't know if i have enough power to now complete this mission can only fail two missions in the Mm. entire game and when you fail the second one you've lost so actually you can only fail one mission in the entire game Mm. correction on myself um there's also like some of the challenges might kill civilians which is not good you don't you don't want that no. uh, you draw a civilian card and it has it has like either zero one two or three civilians most often one or two civilians i don't know if you're killing them or just like they're spooking them out you're spooking them out doesn't or... matter you mm. know they, they're gone right yeah. so if 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 you ever lose five that's also game over, right? That's so, how I lost my first game. <laughs> it, it's, on like it's the second hard. turn. <laughs> it's hard, right? Yeah, it's really yeah. hard, yeah. Um, actually, you know what? Like, okay, um, if I still have one criticism, is that civilian system, like, sometimes it can just make the game arbitrarily hard for no reason. Like, if you draw a three and a two, that's it, right? Which two cards are done. Or if you draw a zero, a one, a one, a one, a two, like, that's five cards, mm. right? And that's not impossible right i don't know if you can draw no three ones. i think yeah no i don't think there are okay three ones okay I think but, there is one one two twos okay zero yeah. one two two that's yeah, four okay. cards yeah. right until yeah. you lose so it, it's it's different right yeah it's and and i think i don't know it just feels like this is an arbitrary amount of difficulty that's still the one thing that makes me kind of go but everything else i like about the game and the one big improvement are the cards themselves Mm. so this is what i really like right first of all um just very briefly the familiars aspect of it is really cool that there's a card that you can spend power on right um which is generally used to prevent bad things that can now give you a good thing Mm. because the familiar you can then later spend uh, on a different else. mission to do yeah. something else, like a powerful ability. So that's nice. You can kind of bank an ability. Uh, but the cards themselves, they have a lot more like this tangible synergy. So uh, a lot of the characters belong to the same family. So there's the Kelly family, mm-hmm. I think. And then there's uh, a Tully family or something like There's Tilly. I, I, I'm... <laughs> misremembering probably their last names but so and there's multiple members of that family right within the deck and and so when you kind of stack them together you know they power each other up and 
And the weird part there is that the like sequencing is also important because if you play this after that, that might be yeah. You know, like there's a lot of like choices, right? There's no right way to play these synergy cards uh, because how you play them in what order will produce different effects. Mm. And of course, what you draw, you you're not going to draw all of them necessarily in one hand, right? So again, there's there's variability within that that feels well designed and it's interesting, right? Um and and so that's nice. But on top of that, there's like sets now. Mm. So uh, there's sets of missions and jurors and familiars that will give you a very different vibe of a game each time you play. So first of all, they increase replayability. Great. Second of all, they ca- they made the cards a lot more interesting. Great. Third, you know, they added like these nice little touches with with the familiars and the challenges and made the challenges more interesting. Also great, right? It's just upsides, and it, it it makes me now want to return to the game. But boy, is it hard. I mean, it's so difficult. Uh, the first game that I played, I lost so very badly, and then we played together, because it is a solo game, mm-hmm. but like any solo game, you know, you can play it with someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what really broke me? Those cards at the top that are secret, uh, that have the numbers on that you will reveal when you go to trial how much you need to convince each oh juror oh my gosh yeah. yeah um because that is kind of the pivoting point of the game mm. and and i just couldn't like i didn't know whether to use an ability to look at one of those cards or maybe use that witch for something else or it was just so hard uh and then when you played with me it felt easier well because <laughs> maybe you were better at just planning no, I, things out i think, I think it's because there were two of us playing a solo game right, right? and yeah. i think what you did uh better a lot better than i did was that synergy uh with the family members uh, mm. i think you used that much better than i did um because you're right there is variability in who you play first because they will say like if you also have another member of the tilly family or for each member of the tilly family you have in play xxx mm. right so um and i think you did that much better and i think that's probably why we were more successful um but we had a few quite heated discussions about what we were going to do with cards didn't we and, yeah, and we that did. was good I, and you're right maybe it was easier because there were two brains uh, figuring out what is supposed to be a solo game but i really enjoyed that that i don't think we've played a solo game before where there's been so much discussion of i, I think we should do this and well no because blah 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 you know and the game yeah. went on for quite a long time because we were trying to convince each other of mm. what what we should do that's because there's so much choice within yes. the cards and how you play them and and i think that that's a sign of the game that remains interesting right because again these witch cards you're not going to have exactly the same set every time you play you know different because uh, you drop the cards uh, mm. for the game and uh, you get a, like a starting uh, set for your first time play right yeah, so so uh what it will tell you is put these in your coven which is the cards that you mm-hmm. will be playing with and put these in your recruit pile i think it's called uh that you will be able to get later on so but generally in the game what you will do is with these 24 cards you will pick up two choose one to go in the coven, choose one to go in the recruit pile and then carry on until you've gone through all the cards so you can build it up yourself um but yeah it it gives you a starting idea because you would have no idea the first time you play it of what these witches do or how good they are with each other Mm. 
And and now this is the thing that makes me want to come back to it. You know, mm. uh, first of all, there's different sets of missions, you know, and different sets of jurors and different sets of familiars. So that's interesting. Uh, there is a campaign as there was previously as well. So that's nice. Uh, but because because of how much more interestingly the cards interact with each other i'm like yeah okay i want i want to try the campaign uh, well the campaign or different sets you know Uh, i guess the campaign is a good way to go through like Uh, all of it and kind of like to try the campaign Mm. so there we go i think witchcraft is is the better game out of the two you know witchcraft or resist it feels like more like i guess a 1.5 version you know like like an updated way to approach resist and it's kind of a shame because resist has a very compelling setting and also equally good artwork right but but there's something about this that just plays better and feels better and is more interesting to return to you definitely don't need to own both right if you have resist i would say just keep resist because there's like broadly very similar games unless you really really love resist and also the theme of this really you find Mm. compelling or if you played out resist but like want more right so you broadly get a very similar game but you know a slightly different challenge uh but but like i don't think anyone needs to have both you know like one is fine Uh, if i was to buy one I would pick witchcraft. witchcraft, definitely. But if I had resist and like I hadn't played it out yet, I I think I'd just stick with the resist, maybe. Yeah. Before we move on to our last game, Adam wrote in to answer the question I posed in a previous episode about wear and tear. They say. During the pandemic, my wife and I played a lot of Terraforming Mars, so much that I lost 14 two-player games in a row. Over that time, a number of our bronze cubes started to lose their colour. That made them very hard to distinguish from the silver cubes, which are a couple of millimetres larger, but worth five times the value. Gameplay was impacted by this, as there's a lot of cube counting to do. Eventually, we got a replacement set from friends who we'd introduced to the game and had bought into the big box Kickstarter. That Kickstarter included a set of special fancy resource cubes, so they gave us their set of standard ones from the same Kickstarter. The only game we have sleeved and also have splurged on a neoprene mat is our copy of Battlestar Galactica. That's because the secrecy of the cards is crucial. It would be licensing hell to ever be reprinted. Buying the first two expansions on eBay costs more than I ever want to pay for a board game. And while I don't play it often, we've played it once or twice a year in most years for over a decade. I mean, I'm not going to begrudge anyone for wanting to protect the one game that they really care about, right? I think I think there's a subtle difference between doing that and actually, scratch that, I think there's a big difference between doing that and, you know, sleeving every game you buy and then buying one board game a week. I, I think there's a difference of impact here that is profound and uh, important. As always, whenever we run away with our behaviors, we kind of lose sense of what's important. And I, I, I just think it's that. I think, I think there's a difference in that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with sleeping the one game that you really care about. Our last game is Revive, which comes from publisher Aporta Games by designers Helen Meissner, Christian Amundsen, Ostby, Elif Svensson and Anna Wormland and art by multiple artists. I know I butchered all of those names and I'm really very sorry. It's okay. I forgive you. Thank you. 
<laughs> you said that as if I said it seriously. Like, <laughs> thank you, Efka. I appreciate that. Um, so this was a surprise, wasn't it? Mm. Uh, we we j- okay. So this is very first impressions because we only played it the once, and it was just yesterday. Yes. Uh, well, Technically, pretty- we played some of it today as well. <laughs> Because it went overnight. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We did start it at like 11 or something uh-huh. like that, didn't we? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, it was really good, though. I have to say, for for a Euro game that we started playing at 11 o'clock at night, it, it, it kept up its pace and kept me glued in, entertained. You know, I, this is the first time I'm playing a game by a Porter Games, so uh, I, I didn't know what to expect. But I actually, I really liked this. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I thought it was very strong and very solid. So standard, familiar, medium weight, Eurogame territory, medium leaning towards heavy, let's say, you know, um, different people have a different impression of what that is. But I think for general audiences, that's an apt description. What you do in this game thematically is that uh, 5,000 years have passed on Earth after... I, is it Earth? I- I think it's I think it's meant to be Earth. Mass destruction has happened. Now it's just ice and crystals and a little center hexagon in the middle of the map board where all of us reside and we will split off into various directions, exploring the ice and building cities and gathering resources and I don't know, making Earth exploit it again is that is that <laughs> I think, the I setting think we've been living underground maybe i think that center hex is like yeah. the hole that we that pop we, up out of yeah yeah to, to go is everything all right now oh mm. yeah okay let's have a look yeah it's weird because it feels like i guess that's app because after five thousand years there would be like crystals growing everywhere wouldn't there if, crystals if, yeah exactly right like well because there's crystals in the game right, and that's I the wild see. resource right and they're like all around the board i don't know how we've survived underground this whole time or what has happened underground this whole time mole power i, I don't think we play in moles no no but no. like we harness the power of moles as I humans see. you know i see and uh and uh yeah and then we use that to yeah this is going nowhere <laughs> yeah but um so we are looking for food we are looking for resources yeah to, uh, in order to power other things we're looking for uh, food gears books yeah that, i i don't know we're in the wasteland i guess i don't know books are meant to found cities yeah gears are meant to found resource extraction sites <laughs> and food is meant to power exploring the ice yeah right so the theme is generic right let's <laughs> let's not beat we've around the bush i think we've made it sound a lot more dull than it actually is yeah because the gameplay is not dull at all no it's exciting and i think the two great things about revive is one right like i said in unmatched it does not forget how exciting it is to constantly reveal things and you reveal things in this game all of the time because not only is the entire board covered in in these ice tiles hexagonal tiles that you pay money to get points and flip over and then what's on the other side is incredibly exciting not just to you but also to other players because if you're revealing something you might orientate it in a way that it might benefit 
you and others mm. or you more and others less or maybe you want something from this tile that is good to you but the other things on this tile on that tile are good to other people and so it's kind of like a win-win situation well there was that one instance where i just wanted so each time you explore you will get another card which is effectively like another action option that might give you resources or something uh, mm-hmm. longer down the line but i just wanted to explore to get the card and the victory points so that's kind of all i wanted so i decided to explore somewhere very far away because i had a special ability that didn't require that i spent loads of food to to explore like, very far away so i turned this tile over that i thought was in the middle of nowhere no one was anywhere near it right yeah and then suddenly as soon as i did that it was like putting down like honey outside all the wasps you know coming down and all the bees coming down all the flies coming down to to eat this honey because every other player seemed to just swarm onto Uh this tile suddenly because it was actually an incredibly good tile yeah uh, because um one of the abilities that it gave you uh, if you uh, built next to it was to move these little pips around your board which will unlock other abilities right so mm. it, was, it was actually very good and then i thought oh i should probably build there at some point because i want <laughs> this stuff too so yeah it was it's a very strange like ecosystem in that way right right yeah and the way i would describe uh the movement in this game right which is very bizarre basically whenever you place a piece on the map that's where you are because at first it's like you're in the center right but as soon as you place your first piece that's where you are Mm. and you count distance from it and every time you want to go further than the next hex you have to pay one food for each hex between you and the thing you want to interact with like whether you want to build like a new city or a new resource extraction site or you know you want to explore a tile you always have to pay a surplus of food for the distance Mm. right so what that does in effect to this game is it creates this economy map system that I would liken to, you know, having velocity in outer space. If you gain speed, you will go in that one direction, right? And you will just kind of like, boom, right? But then if you want to maneuver and take a turn and go somewhere else, it requires an inordinate amount of effort to (laughs) do it and kind of go, right? So that's the feeling that this game gave me of like you kind of like pick a cardinal direction that you think oh you know i'll i'll move into that way and suddenly people start revealing things Mm. right and it's like wait a minute i need to slingshot around saturn here Mm. right (laughs) like and, and i think that's what makes it so cool and at first i thought okay there's kind of four corners that we can all go to diagonally or orthogonally, whatever, right? There's four players. We're all going to go in all our separate directions, you know, free from interaction, right? But that's not, that's not what <laughs> that happens not at happen. all, right? It's like, oh, you've revealed things that are relevant to me. I'm going to suddenly pivot and go that way uh, towards you and build things where you don't want me to build them. And that's the second thing that's great about this game. It is effectively like your own resource management puzzle right because it plays a lot like standard games you have like basically action spaces where you can play cards to um depending on which orientation you play them at that's the things that you're going to get on the card so there's things at the top of the card and things at the bottom of the card and you have slots where you can put those cards in into your player board once the start is taken it's taken you can't play anything else there but then you can take a reset turn to get all the cards 
into the rest zone. You get the cards from the rest zone back as available cards. And, and so that feels very standard, right? But what makes it interesting is this, like, interactivity of, like, the map that really manages to tie everyone together into this shared interactive space. So I, I like that a lot. I like a Euro game that, you know, lets you do your own puzzle, but also, like, what others are doing is important. And it also gives you this serotonin hit of constantly revealing things, you know? <laughs> so whether it's these ice tiles or there's these little bonus crates as well, you get to reveal them. And finally, there's the final reveal at the end of the game, your secret goals, right? So again, that's pretty standard in a lot of games, you know? You, you score for this, right? But not only do you keep that secret for the entire game, you can also multiplier it, mm. right? Which is also the end game trigger, which feels so impactful. <laughs> these, these, what our friend called alien eggs, right? Uh, I, egg brains. Egg brains, yeah. Uh -huh. These these weird tiles that, like, if you get them, they're multipliers for the things that you're already doing and getting points for, which feels immense. And so that's the, where the majority of your score comes from. And at the end of the game, you get to reveal that and say, look, these are my secret goals, right? <laughs> like, I don't know. There's just a lot of like fun moments in in this like pre-tied game it felt like you know yeah this there's there's a lot to chew on here i felt like the person who knew the game well won without question yeah it was our first game so i mean i was proud to have come second but and in fact got their highest score they said that they'd ever got in that yeah, game yeah yeah because we, we did not that great. I did terribly. But I tend to do terribly in new kind of big Euros anyway. Mm. Because there Unless is, it's Concordia. Uh, <laughs> uh, unless, um, <laughs> because there are so many things that I just get overwhelmed by. There are so many choices to make. Do I move up this track? Do I reveal? Do I build? Do I go here? Do I do that? Do I... Is that my target for the future? Mm. Is that what I'm working towards? And I just tend to flip-flop between things too much and I don't have a solid uh, idea of where my engine is going and how how to build it you know i've i've built some kind of weird contraption <laughs> rather than building like the car i haven't taken wheels and a steering wheel and a roof i've taken like this bit from a plane this bit from a bike this bit from a washing machine and this bit from an electric toothbrush and stuck them all together and hope for the best and that's that's kind of what i i tend to do um, i would buy that whatever that product <laughs> is yeah five of those I, I, yeah and i don't think i don't think that's so but so I really, really enjoyed this, um, but I would like to play it again uh, just so that I can figure out how to play this game. <laughs> Do you know mm, what I mean? Yeah, because I'm, I'm not sure that um, any of the things that I did were really very helpful. <laughs> well, Elaine, in the month of May, yes, uh, there is an expansion coming for this game. So you better get good, right? Yeah, right. Before the expansion arrives, because, you know, there'll be new things then to figure out yeah. and be bad and looking forward to that <laughs> um I, I yeah i i think this game is nothing like terra mystica right but i i do want to invoke that comparison because of of both games having that sort of like map element where you kind of want to be next to each other for very different reasons than mm. in terra mystica right like um and it also has asymmetrical factions again it's, it's there's some overlap i feel like if you like that game but want less tracks right 
Although no, there are tracks. You you go yeah. up yeah, yeah, yeah. on your own personal technology track. But but one thing that I found very common with Terra Mystica is that you have to kind of squeeze as much out as you can. You have to very brute force it, and then you, if if you manage to squeeze it just right, you know you suddenly start finding yourself like bouncing into all these synergies on your track board and your technologies unlocking and like things feeding into each other there's this great system where like you initially can't do a lot because of the action card restriction how many you can play so you need to take like your reset turns often but actually i've only reset i think four times in the entire game which you know it really ramps up towards you not having to reset and you get into this flow of like this chains into that into that into that and suddenly i unlocked all these free actions as well <laughs> like and, and oh if i just do this and like i'll get i'll do this and i'll build this thing and i'll get these resources from there and they'll unlock this bonus thing and they'll go in for this and it's fun it's got that euro game fun but it's got that interactivity it's got these surprises it's got you know that bounce and zing that uh many euro games these days forget to have so yeah uh, uh, this was refreshing and fun and a good time and i want to play more of it yeah what i really liked about it which i don't think you see that often uh in euros was the way the cards worked where uh you start with uh, three cards out and those are the actions that you can choose from to do and then you have three cards that are face down that you will get a later time but as you buy new cards or as you get new cards they go into your like active area mm. so you could use those immediately for the next turn or even on the same turn because you get two actions per turn so you could buy a card and then immediately use that um and then if you don't use them they don't go away they just stay there so if you don't use them for the action they just stay there so then you have more choice of what you might want to do on the next turn so you can kind of plan for the turn you know somewhere down the line by keeping this card or uh, the other thing I liked about it was that there are abilities that will let you take a card back out of a slot mm. to put another card in mm. so although you only have uh, four available spaces two at the top two at the bottom initially to to put the cards into to slot the cards into there is an option you know that you could have to take one out put something else in and you can use that immediately also it, it, there's just so much like interactivity with the cards it reminded me of ginkopolis you know like the card part of ginkopolis because there's something it's not the same but there is some similarity about like these cards having like this rotational cycle mm. and like you purchase it and suddenly it's like oh it's within your ecosystem now and it's sort of flowing mm. if that makes sense mm. um it's not like a perfect translation, you know, the, the, the rules are different, but but there is that vibe element of these cards and how they flow in this game to how they flow in Ginkopolis. So uh, I, I, I don't know if I'm being reductive here by comparing it to other titles. You know, I wouldn't want to say, oh, this is a mashup of Terra Mystica and Ginkopolis because it's I think not. that... No, it's not. It, it's its own thing, it, very clearly. But these sort of like pulls from other games are almost inevitable now like mm. there's so many euro games that associations inevitably come to mind um and i don't know i feel like that's a compliment anyway right do you know what i mean mm. if you're comparing it mm. to well a game i really love and a game that i thought is okay but everyone else loves right <laughs> that that that's that's good right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah looking forward to playing this one again and playing the expansion 
round off this episode, we've got one more piece of correspondence. Nico wrote in with a couple of important points from previous episodes. They say... First, I remember Efka saying something about Nintendo only producing commemorative Koi Koi sets with the Nintendo characters on them. This is, in fact, untrue. As an avid collector of playing cards from around the world, I can say for a fact that they still produce some of their original sets. These cards are very small, but importantly, not nearly as fragile as the ones Efka talked about in that episode. You can comfortably shuffle them without any worry of ruining them. And then they put in some pictures of of the, mm. the sets which are very pretty second elaine mentioned something about inventing sweet crispy pancakes i'm happy to tell you those already exist they're a danish dessert known as good red i, I, I have no idea how to say it. i'm so sorry uh, but it translates as good advice they're sweet, thin, crispy and very delicious. They're made in a sort of intricate looking waffle line and come out as thin crispy waffly pancake cookies and they sent some pictures of that as well Oh, they really shut us down there with that email, right? Like, you're wrong and you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I never, just one thing, I never claimed to have invented the, I thought, I said, does this already exist? Please let us know if it exists. Mm-hmm. I, 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 like, I'm sure that Nintendo, I mean, not sure, like, I understand that Nintendo make other sets, but like during my very cursory search at the time, there were none available that they were selling. They were, they on their web store it was only super mario characters which is cool anyway but you know like yeah i'm I'm certain that they make others and others exist and they are they are known for that originally so i imagine they would keep that going wouldn't they anywho thank you for writing in thank you for letting us know and thank you to everyone else who who has written in for this episode and for all the other episodes lastly efka what is on the bonus episode this week i know you've already told us but please remind us and how can people find it well they can find it by becoming a supporter of no pun included which is our youtube channel uh, and this uh, podcast talk cardboard uh, if you want to find our YouTube channel, go to youtube.com slash no pun included. If you want to support us and get more episodes of this podcast, then go to patreon.com slash no pun included, uh, where you will be uh, providing, uh, for a monthly fee, you will be providing support to one of the few independent board game reviewers out there. That's us. Uh, and uh, you'll get the bonus episodes, not just this bonus episode, all the bonus episodes. Because every time we make one of these... There's a bonus episode. So uh, on this bonus episode, we will have Halls of Hegra, which is a solo game that you have played. I haven't, so you'll be telling me all about it. And you think it's... Good. Nice. Uh, and Spoiler. Uh, we'll, we'll also be talking about My Island, which is the sequel to Reiner Knizia's My City. Finally, what is the game of the episode? Oh, this is a tough one. All the games are, like... We liked them all. Yeah, we liked time, we right? liked all of them. I have to give it to Revive. I think maybe it, it's a tough call between which Witchcraft and Revive. Uh, but I just I just haven't played a Euro game in so long that impressed that really me. To you, yeah, yeah. So yeah, Revive. And with that, why don't you say goodbye, Elaine? Goodbye, Elaine. Goodbye, Elaine. <laughs>